Yeah. So um, this morning I'll be speaking about uh, treasure texts and prophetic revelations. And given the theme of the weekend, I seized my opportunity to explore a theme which has been a source of inspiration for me for a rather long time. So I'll begin by just uh, sharing one of my absolute first memories. And it begins uh, with me being on a quest, basically, in pursuit, in search of that which is of greatest uh, value. I've got a map in my hand, and the map has led me to this massive blue cave. And I'm standing in front of the entrance, and the entrance above it is decorated with a skull, sort of reminding me about... uh, the entrance to Dante's Inferno, abandon all hope, ye who enters here. And I enter, and as I'm enveloped by this dark, blue, sort of luminous blackness, I'm terrified. But there's no way to, there's no return, basically. I have to push on, which I do. And eventually, stumbling across at the depth of this cavern, a treasure, a chest. I'm not sure what it contains, but I know that it's got that which is of greatest value in it. And this memory is from my third birthday celebration, which my parents had arranged for it to be like a birthday-themed party. The the, the cave was a blue tent, which my dad pitched in my room, and the skull was a, a pirate flag, and the treasure was probably like... I don't know, a box of sweets or something. Uh, And growing up, I mean, my imagination was highly occupied with the sort of myth of pirates and their adventure and the search and discoveries of of treasures. And to some extent, my imagination still is today. So this morning, I'll continue the theme, which we've already heard a little bit about, about hidden treasures and prophetic uh, revelations. So I'll begin by looking at the Terma and the Tertans uh, in the Nyingmapa school of of Buddhism, and then I'll move on to explore um, the sort of significance of treasures in the wider Buddhist tradition, and then finally see if the myth of the treasure revealer, not as the Tertan, but as the sort of general treasure revealer, can be a source of inspiration for us. And whether or not you'll find any of this of use remains to be seen, but you'll acquire some degree of merit through your generosity and letting me indulge myself (laughs) in a theme of inspiration for me. So uh, let's begin by looking at the Nyingmapa tradition briefly. Um, So the hiding and search for Dharma teachings as treasures is not sort of particular for this branch of Buddhism, but it took a central uh, position which it didn't do as much in other uh, traditions. So to begin with then, who is the Turton? So the Turton is, as we've heard, an incarnation of Padmasambhavas, one of his um, 24 main uh, disciples that reveals prophetic teachings that Padmasambhava hid for future generations of Dharma practitioners uh, to benefit from. And this is what Bhante has to say about the Turton. So he says, the Turton, the person who digs deep into the body of Tarpanagpu and finds the exact remedy for the actual concrete situation existing now within the situation itself. So what are these termas then, uh, these treasure texts, and what do they consist of? And basically it's a prophetic teaching uh, hidden by Padmasambhava. They turn prophetic because according to legend, Padmasambhava could predict 
the needs of his future disciples and therefore composed teachings that was appropriate to them in their particular circumstances. And this is what Bhante has to say about Thomas. So he says, situation change, circumstances change, teachings need to be adapted. So adapters are needed. New versions of the teachings are needed, adapted to particular specific circumstances, and this is what a terma represents. And usually a terma consists of a whole cycle of teaching containing various themes and topics, and there's a hierarchy of them, and for it to be considered a great one, it needs to, be, uh, it needs to contain a whole path to enlightenment, basically. And in this framework, that means a teaching on uh, Padmasambhava, the archetypal teacher and the transformative power of the enlightened mind, Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of compassion, and the great perfection in Tibetan Dogchen and Sanskrit, it's the Mahasandhi, which is very simplified, the evocation of the sort of absolute nature of consciousness and how to dwell and relax into that. And there's a whole sort of range of categories of, of treasure texts, but the main two ones are earth termas and mind termas. And essentially all termas are mind termas because the material object only exists as a catalyst to sort of uh, reawaken the, the teaching that was hidden uh, by Padmasambhava in the mind of the treasure revealer. And how are they discovered? So the career of a turton is a dark and perilous one Demon-taming and God-subduing sort of seems to be a standard part of the procedure of discovering treasure texts. Hardships and challenges are to be expected, and sometimes the life of the turtle might even be at stake. And perhaps that's not so surprisingly, given the sort of evocation that we heard yesterday and the description of, of Tarpanagpo. Um, a few of my favourite, or favourites, sort of turtons are Jigme Lingpa, Pema Lingpa and Karma Lingpa. Lingpa just being a title or a name that you receive as a, 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 a turton. And Jigme Lingpa is one of the most important treasure leaders in Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, in one of his secret autobiographies, Jigme Lingpa describes a visionary journey in which he discovers a very important term within the Lingma Pa uh, school. And the discovery was initiated by a period of uh, intense solitude and, and loneliness, um, which reached a particular pitch of intensity, uh, longing for Padmasambhava, basically, that made him swoon. And the swooning enabled him to sort of enter into a visionary realm, which uh, he embarked on a journey that took him to the Budhnat Stupa in Nepal. And here he received a transmission uh, by an enlightened darkeni on the Longchen uh, Ningtig. Um, it was written in illegible darkeni script, which is usually the case for these termas. They're written in, in sort of illegible darkeni script on a parchment uh, of yellow, yellow paper. And uh, Dilgo Kenserinpoche has commented on this, saying something like the whole experience takes place in the darkeni in the Dakini's realm. It partakes of her nature, so seemingly to suggest that the whole experience is the teaching itself and that the visionary realm is the realm of the Dakini. Uh, another one then is Pemalinka, and he received sort of a nickname uh, called Black Blood Vomiter because of what he went through in the process of discovering these treasure texts. And he was also about to drown in the process of retrieving 
uh, a terma in the form of a rupa hidden deep within uh, a lake. Another one, uh, which I think most of us are familiar with, is Karmalimpa, famous for discovering the whole great liberation uh, cycle, which the Bada Tudol is uh, a part of. And uh, Karmalimpa is suspected to have been murdered by his own son and his Karma Mudra, a Karma Mudra being the consort for sexo-yogic practices, as Chen uh, calls them. And I'm not going to go into the story, but it's pretty amazing. It's like this kind of tantric sci-fi thing where he tries to eject his consciousness into a bird to sell himself from the poison. Uh, so interesting stories, and just a few are mentioned now uh, by the Turtles. There are many, many more. Ratna Lingpa, Dujum Lingpa, Chökya Lingpa, Urgen Lingpa, even Bhante's own teacher, such as Dujum Rinpoche, is said to be a, a Turton himself. So then, how and when is this revelation completed? So in order for the treasure to be fully and completely revealed, it needs to be partly discovered. The teaching hidden by Pamasambhava needs to be discovered, but it also needs to be passed on to a community of disciples. So hence, both Pamasambhava, the archetypal teacher, and Yeshe Sogyab, the archetypal disciple, are prayed to in order to facilitate the process of revealing these treasure texts. Uh, that said, Dhyanat Gyatso uh, explains that a treasure revelation is actually never fully complete. The, the sort of process of translation goes on without end because uh, the circumstances and the need for future disciples keep changing. Uh, but despite it being a never-ending process, there's a strong emphasis on the importance of communicating uh, the teaching in order for its full significance to be revealed. And what is the purpose of this whole tradition? And to put it simply, the Turtan exists to fulfill the mission of Padmasambhava, to inspire his future disciples uh, so that the teaching discovered by the Turtan sort of acts as a catalyst to uh, help them... Uh, continue their dharma work and their dharma practice. And um, it's said that the treasure is fresh, blessed by the warm breath of the guru and the darkness. And Jigme Lingpa gives four reasons for the concealment and discovery of termas. So he says, the termas are concealed with four intentions, namely that the doctrine shall not disappear, the instructions not be adulterated, the blessings not fade, and that the lineage of the transmission be shortened. So that's Jigme Lingpa on the purpose of uh, termas. That said, uh, Antonio Turon, a scholar which Pamavandra referred to yesterday, explains that much of this business in the Nyingmapa school of discovering treasure is almost associated with a sort of nationalistic and patriotic idea of the uh, Tibetan culture, strongly related with the ideal of Tibet as a kind of sacred land where the divine manifests in the natural world and beings continually attain liberation. And he also says that the function is primarily to do with the conservation and preservation of the Nyingmapa tradition in the opposing forces of the other schools of Tibetan Buddhism, the, the new, the Sarma uh, tradition. So... Obviously, then, the mythic landscape of the Terma and the Turton is not a universal one, but one which developed uh, in a particular culture with a particular agenda for a particular uh, people. So it's not explicitly and immediately concerned with the preservation and the conservation of the Dharma, more generally speaking. 
So why and how then is this relevant on an order weekend here at um, Palmaroca? If this myth is so particularly for and highly associated with uh, a school and the tradition to which we do not uh, belong. And I think to sort of appreciate this, we need to broaden out and take more of a sort of poetical approach to the discoveries of treasure texts. Um, generally speaking, treasures and the hiding of them seem to contain somewhat of a sort of universal question in terms of what is of greatest value, uh, what needs hiding and protecting for future generations, and what are the dangers to be expected when pursuing the discovery of them. So we've got a whole range of stories from all over the world, basically, regarding treasures and the search for them and the discovery of them, as well as the challenges that lay in the process of discovering them. So in Greek mythology, we have Jason and the Golden Fleece, Hercules and the Apple of Hesperides, uh, the Arthurian legends, we have Arthur and uh, the Holy Grail, uh, and sort of contemporary fantasy, we have uh, Tolkien's The Hobbit and the treasure of the Lonely Mountain and this great naga, Smaug, guarding the treasures within. And the themes have also been addressed in the wider Buddhist tradition, so I thought we'd have a look at a few examples from the Pali Canon. So, this passage is from the Uposatha Sutta, so the Sutta which Bhante based his lecture, The Taste of Freedom, on. And this is um, what it says. So, the ocean has many treasures of various kinds. Pearls, sapphires, lapis lazuli, shells, quartz, coral, silver, gold, rubies and cat's eyes. So, a description here of the Dharma in terms of the great and mighty ocean uh, which contains a vast array of precious gems, basically, uh, of precious teachings. Uh, and it continues, saying, And furthermore, the ocean is the abode of mighty beings such as whales, whale-eaters, whale-eaters-eaters, asuras, nagas, gandabas. There are in the ocean beings of 100 leagues long, 200 leagues long, 300, 400, 500 leagues long. So, as well as treasures, we also have the great and mighty creatures guarding them. Then we have a passage from the Anyatara Sutta, uh, and this passage is sort of a reoccurring formula, which we encounter again and again in the Pali Canon. Um, after someone having received a teaching from either the Buddha or one of his disciples, and been deeply moved by it, uh, and usually it's followed by um, a desire to go for refuge to the Three Jewels and become a follower of the Buddha. So, magnificent, Master Gautama, magnificent. Just as if he were to place upright what was overturned, to reveal what was hidden, to point out the way of one who was lost, or to carry a lamp into the dark so that one can see forms. In the same way has Master Gautama made the Dhamma clear. So, not only are treasures found within early Buddhism, as documented in the Nikaya uh, tradition, but also we have examples from the Mahayana Sutras and Shastras. So I'll just mention briefly a few. Obviously, we have the, the sort of legend of, of Nagarjuna and how he uh, retrieved the perfection of wisdom texts from the Nagas, uh, these 
serpent-like creatures that the Buddha handed the perfection of wisdom teachings to for protection. We also have the life of a Sangha. Uh, when he was on solitary retreat, he received these sort of um, visions of the Bodhisattva Maitreya and uh, teachings on the Vignapti Matrata, or the mind-only doctrines, which took a central position in the Yogacara, uh, in the Yogacara tradition. Um, we have the Bodhisattva which is said to be spontaneously uttered by Shantideva as he elevated into the air, uh, coming out of his communion with, with Manyushri. And uh, lastly, we have the passage from the White Lotus Sutra, where the Buddha reveals his uh, eternally enlightened nature to some of his rather confused uh, disciples. So just a few examples here uh, from treasures and the revelation of them in the Mahayana tradition. So uh, we've seen that treasure teachings and the revelation took a central place in the Nyingma part tradition, but they're found basically all across Buddhism. So uh, I'd like to move on to Bhante now, but I want to first make it very, very, very clear that I'm not saying that he's uh, a Turton or that he's discovered termas. My agenda is not to try to fit Bhante into a particular schema uh, and criteria, or to fit our tradition into to a tradition which we do not uh, belong. But what I'd like to do is look at sort of poetical resonances and parallels and correspondences between Bhante's life and his teachings, some of his teachings, and the inspiration in the myth of the treasure finder and the search for treasure. So uh, to begin with, as mentioned, the main function of a Turton uh, is a mediator, transmitter and translator. And Bante, in my relation to the order, speaks of himself as a translator, a mediator and elucidator. He's also seen a parallel between himself and Saint Jerome in the desert, translating the Bible from Latin into the vernacular. And that is essentially what Bante has done for us, isn't it? You know, he's translated uh, the Dharma for us in a language which enables us to actually practice it here and now. Uh, so perhaps if only for this weekend, we can use Bhante as a gateway to sort of connect with the archetypal translator and the visionary world in which uh, teachings, hidden teachings are revealed and translated from illegible uh, darkening script into the vernacular. Uh, but as mentioned, we're now leaving the sort of the traditional framework of termos and tertons. So... I'd like now to look at a few instances in Bhante's life which could be sort of creatively interpreted as him uh, prophetically revealing treasure texts. And, um, I mean, we're all well aware of these already, so I'll just mention them very briefly. I mean, first we have the passage which uh, Chandadipa referred to yesterday uh, before leading us through the Padmasambhava Sadhana, the first encounter that Bhante had with Padmasambhava and how he describes this figure as both familiar and fascinating and that it almost seems to reactivate this force uh, which had been there all along. Then we have his reading of the Diamond Sutra and the Platform Sutra. So at the age of 16, reading these two texts, discovering that he was a Buddhist and had always been one. Uh, we've had, we also have the vision of Amitabha which Shavadra uh, alluded to last night uh, when he was wandering with Satya Priya uh, in south of India, staying at the Virupaksha 
Guha having this vision of Amitabha holding a lotus flower. And what I find interesting about this passage is that he sort of could reveal the dharmic significance of it. He didn't just have a vision, but he took it as a sign to seek formal Buddhist ordination. So he sort of discovered a teaching that lied within uh, the visionary experience. We also have the whole episode of guidance at the Nature Cure Clinic. So in the sign of the Golden Wheel, uh, Bhante recollects his first longer meditation retreat that he ever went on, uh, during which he pursues the theme of guidance in relation to meditative absorption. And he says here that he was convinced that there would be some result coming out of this exploration, partly due to his level of concentration and the intense desire to be guided. Uh, so he describes then how he presents uh, questions to this transcendental person in, in question. And the answer which he receives from the Buddha, he says, were immediately imprinted on his consciousness without being pronounced or articulated. So a few interesting sort of parallels between this account and what Jigme Lingpa describes in his secret autobiography. So Jigme Lingpa deceives his treasure teachings from the Dakini in a vision as a single narrative, no, as a single image, sorry, without any narrative or sequence, which is immediately imprinted on his consciousness, uh, which sounds very similar to Bhante receiving the answer from the Buddha at the Nature Cure Clinic. And also, for Jigme Lingpa, what ignited the whole visionary journey was intense uh, longing for the Guru, and for Bhante, it's his intense desire to be guided. Uh, so, sort of a few instances then uh, we've looked at of um, Bhante sort of discovering uh, hidden treasure teaching. So, maybe um, we should have a look at some of the teachings themselves which Bhante has discovered and drawn out for our benefits. And as mentioned, uh, traditionally what makes a, a toton and a terma a great one is that they must contain a whole path to enlightenment uh, through teachings on Parmasambhava, Avalokiteshvara and uh, Great Perfection. And perhaps we can find poetical resonances between these three aspects of the terma, uh, the three jewels and some teachings and doctrines that Bhante has given us. So... To begin with, then, the great perfection, uh, the Buddha jewel and Bhante's vision of the absolute and ultimate dimension of existence and of consciousness. So Bhante has given us rather a lot when it comes to evoking our deepest potential and the most sort of sublime possible vision of existence. Particularly in the early days, he was quite fond of the whole terminology which he says was used by the idealistic schools of, of uh, Buddhism. And I've always personally been really struck by the language used by great masters of sort of Dzogchen and Mahamudra without having any idea what they're actually talking about. Uh, so for obvious reasons, then, perhaps the passage which I'll read from now left a strong uh, mark on me. So this is from Mind, Reactive and Creative from 1967. So this is Bhante. Now, absolute mind, mind in its nakedness, our transcendental mind, or the one mind, is synonymous with reality itself, a pure, non-dual awareness, a luminous void awareness, a blissful awareness, transcending the duality of subject and object. 
the creative mind is the non-conditioned mind because it is non-conditioned, it is truly free. And being creative and free, it is also original in the sense of producing something new from its own depths and the treasures within. So just one uh, passage, um, and I'll just mention a few other places where Bhante uh, has drawn out this kind of sublime vision and our deepest uh, potential. So Pamavadra mentioned yesterday the whole myth which we've been introduced to of primordial purity, particularly through the figure of Vajrasattva. Uh, we have the sadhana, we have the uh, lectures on Vajrasattva as well as the seminars. Bhante has also spoken about going forth from Vijnana to uh, Jnana, from uh, the conditioned mind to the unconditioned mind, from um, non-dual awareness, from dual awareness, sorry, to non-dual awareness. And then he's also given us the whole vision of the cosmic going for refuge, evoking the whole existing existence as a search for and discovery of that which is a true refuge, which is essentially the three uh, jewels. Um, he's also spoken about the higher evolution of man, where he evokes the whole evolutionary process as a development towards enlightenment. And he's also rendered the arising of the bodhicitta as the cosmic will to universal redemption. So just a few passages here in teachings, which are sort of highly idealistic and poetically evokes the vision of existence and our deepest potentials, uh, evoking the Buddha jewel and perhaps something which um, some of uh, the Tertans dealing with the theme of um, the great perfection are also trying to do. So moving on to the second aspect, so Padmasambhava, the archetype of transformative power of the enlightened consciousness, the Dharma jewel and individual development. So he's not just uh, given us uh, vision, but Bhante has also laid out a whole path of self-development and transformation in relation to this vision. Um, and perhaps here we can find a correspondence between this aspect of the Dharma, the Dharma jewel, and uh, the path and the training which he's given us. So I'd like to mention something in particular which he draws on in a very early lecture called The Depth Psychology of Yogacara, also from 1967. And here he describes the process of transformation in terms of the paravritti or the turning about, um, which transform all of the eight consciousnesses, um, as talked about in the Yogacara tradition, into the five wisdoms, the five jnanas. And uh, I'm doing this with a help of a slight rendering by Subhuti. But essentially what he's saying is that the five sense consciousness, our immediate sensory engagement with our surrounding and the world, is through the all-accomplishing wisdom of Amogasiddhi turned into uh, enlightened creativity. The Vijnana, the labelling aspect of consciousness, is through the discriminative as uh, wisdom of, of Amitabha uh, transformed into unconditional love. And the Klishtuman or Vijnana, the defiled and proud mind consciousness, which separates self uh, from other, is through um, the wisdom of Ratnasambhava, the wisdom of sameness, transformed into pure beauty. And then we have the relative Alaya, which is the storehouse consciousness, where all impressions and experiences are registered and stored uh, planted like seeds is through the mirror-like wisdom of Akshobhya, 
uh, transformed into transcendental truth. And lastly, we have the absolute Arya, which doesn't actually transform because it is already the Dharmadhatu, the realm of uh, reality, the realm of Vairochana. And the reason for drawing out this lecture in particular is because I believe it's sort of, um, it's particularly related to the theme of the weekend. Um, in the Guru Yoga from the Taipa Delam, where you visualize your teacher as embodiment of Padmasambhava, when we receive the fourth and final Abhisheka, the initiation into non-dual awareness, the five lights that enter into us correspond to the five lights uh, of the various energy... Uh, no, sorry, the, the five lights that we receive into our body corresponds to the five light or the five uh, wisdoms. And that takes place in some Padmasambhava sadhanas as well. So even though it's not immediately connected, perhaps there's a parallel between the, the, the sadhana which we've been given uh, by Bhante of the greatly precious guru and what he talks about in terms of individual transformation in this lecture from 67. Um, obviously not the only place that is laid out, a very clear path of self-development. I mean, we have the whole system of, of, of meditation together with the, that seminar on Nagarjuna's precious garland, uh, which developed into the whole sort of five aspects of the Dharma life, which we make so much of uh, these days. Uh, we have a method of personal development from 1976, and also, uh, as already mentioned, the High Evolution series, where he... Uh, describes a whole path of becoming a true individual, basically. Uh, finally, coming on to the third uh, aspect of the Therma. So, uh, Avalokiteshvara, the archetype of compassionate activity and the Sangha jewel and Kalyanamitrata. So again, according to Gyatso, the Therma is not fully revealed until it's actually been communicated. And Dante has always stressed the importance of, uh, of communication and of friendship and of sangha as an indispensable aspect of the Dharma life, but also as a refuge uh, in its own right. So he's given us a vision and he's given us a path of self-development, but he's also set out a context in which this uh, transformation can um, take place. Uh, a context of Kalyanamitra time which we can most effectively uh, do our best to live out the Bodhisattva ideal and our ordination vows. So again, many instances that Bantas brought up the importance of Kalyanamitrata, but I thought I'd just mention one lecture in particular. So this is from um, a case of dysentery, which he gave here at Pamaloka in 1982. And this is what Bhante says. Uh, so the enlightenment experience is not self-contained in a one-sided way. It contains an element of communication an element of spiritual friendship, even transcendental friendship, or friendship of the highest conceivable level, something that found expression in the later history of Buddhist thought as the rather mysterious conception of Sambhogakaya, of the rather mysterious concept of Sambhogakaya, sorry. So interesting to note here what he says about Kalyanamitrata and the relationship between the Sambhogakaya. Usually Avalokiteshvara is the embodiment of the Sambhogakaya, at least as sort of described in the Trikaya uh, formulation in the Lotus, Lotus family. And um, another connection related to this is also the whole myth of the order which Bhante gave us, the myth of the eleven-headed and thousand-armed 
uh, Avalokiteshvara, which Bhante said we should take even quite literally. And I don't have much more time to go into any of this in, in any detail, but we have um, The Art of Discipleship, which I've been reading quite recently, which is a, a brilliant, brilliant uh, read. He talks about there's this passage, which you've probably come across, where he talks about the Gestalt and the private myth of our life, the story which gives our life meaning, uh, how that can only be fully revealed uh, and sort of fulfilled in a public myth, which for us is the, the, the myth of uh, Avalokiteshvara. We have the good friend, the very early uh, article which he wrote in India, where he talks about the emotional equivalence of the Anatma doctrine being spiritual friendship. Uh, we have the meaning of conversion in Buddhism, which Maitreya mentioned, where he talks about uh, going for refuge to uh, the Sangha in terms of moving from mere contact to vital mutual responsiveness. And um, he's also drawn out that the arising of the bodhicitta, the altruistic dimension of going for refuge, is most likely to arise within a spiritual community. And the bodhicitta, the wish-fulfilling jewel, the chintamani is also what Avalokiteshvara holds uh, to his heart. So a few connections between this aspect of the term and, and Avalokiteshvara. So coming to an end then, so we've had a look at the Nyingma Pa tradition, the myth of hidden teachings and treasure finders, uh, how that found its origin in early Buddhism and then stretched across uh, the wider Buddhist tradition. And we've also had a look at poetical resonances between uh, this and what we've been given by Bhante. Um, so lastly then, what about, what about us? Uh, how can we search for and discover treasures? And I don't know. I don't have, I don't have a sort of a special precept of how to uh, discover treasure teachings. Uh, but I think we can learn something from, from looking at uh, the life of great masters, of Parmasambhava, of Bhante, of the traditional sort of framework of Termas and Tertons. Because um, it seems that the endeavor is an individual one and that each of us needs to discover what we respond to in the Dharma what we need and how to sort of apply that in our uh, life. And although it being an individual one, it's not an individualistic one because it takes place in relation to teachers and friends and also, as we've seen, the whole importance of uh, communication uh, is very much uh, stressed. And personally, I always find it poignant that Bhante always questioned the purpose of why the Buddha gave a particular teaching uh, and how to apply that in life, basically. A very sort of pragmatic, pragmatic approach to uh, the Dharma. It's also this was reflected upon the Dharmic significance in his own experience, whether it's sort of more mystical and profound or very ordinary, um, seemingly being able to sort of discover the Dharmic, the Dharmic significance of his life, essentially. Um, he's also you know, done a lot in terms of uh, communication, obviously, uh, communicating these discoveries to his disciples uh, for our benefit, but also perhaps so that the revelation could move to uh, a completion. So, wrapping up now, so it's been said, uh, we heard yesterday that Tibet has been described as a nation uh, longing for Padmasambhava and that the Turtan exists to fulfill his mission. The revelation of his teachings are never complete but goes on. Uh, without end. And for the full significance of these treasure texts to be revealed, they need to be uh, communicated. So, paraphrasing this then, 
perhaps we can say that this weekend has been a celebration of and longing for uh, Padmasambhava and that we having come here uh, to be inspired to continue to do our best to fulfill his uh, mission. And if any treasures have been revealed uh, during the weekend, they need to be continually reflected upon and worked out of how to be applied. And also, in order for them to be complete, they need to be communicated. And perhaps then in doing so, we'll come a little bit closer to uniting uh, with the greatly precious guru of uh, Urgen. Thank you.